Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Bible Study. For broadcast times in your area of these studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now it's time to begin our Sunday study with your speaker, Chris McCann. Good afternoon and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Afternoon Bible Study in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 50. Today will be study number 20. And we're going to be reading Jeremiah 50, verses 38 through 40. A drought is upon her waters, and they shall be dried up. For it is the land of graven images, and they are mad upon their idols. Therefore the wild beasts of the desert, with the wild beasts of the island, shall dwell there. And the owls shall dwell therein, and shall be no more inhabited forever. Neither shall it be dwelled in from generation to generation. As God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and the neighbor cities thereof, saith Jehovah, so shall no man abide there, neither shall any son of man dwell therein. And I'll stop reading there. We're continuing verse by verse through Jeremiah 50, which is a description given by God of the judgment upon Babylon, as Babylon typifies the kingdoms of this world, the kingdom of Satan. The, the, the unsafe people of the earth are in view in the day of judgment. And, and God's wrath is being poured out upon them. We're seeing this in practically verse after verse uh, in this chapter. And, and then in the next chapter, chapter 51, God continues along the same lines and, and sometimes, um, if not repeating himself, um, just emphasizing a very similar point. And what is the main point that God is getting at in many of these verses? It is that he has ended his salvation program for this world. It has come to a close. This is the judgment. It's a spiritual judgment to begin with, but it is a real judgment. This is the judgment upon Babylon, upon the unsafe people of the earth. All right, let's continue. In verse 38, it says, A drought is upon her waters, and they shall be dried up. For it is the land of graven images, and they are mad upon their idols. A drought is upon her waters. Uh, we read of God bringing a drought in the little book of Haggai. Haggai chapter 1. And Haggai comes right before Zechariah, which is before Malachi, and that would end the Old Testament. So it's it's one of the last books of the Old Testament. Haggai 1. And in verse 10 and verse 11, it says, Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of the hands. This is describing a drought, and verse 10 is important because this is why uh, there is a drought or what leads to a drought. The heaven over you is stayed from dew 
and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And, and that is descriptive of what happens during a drought. Now, spiritually, if the heaven is stayed from dew, this points to God not bringing his word in the form of the latter rain or in the form of rain as um, both rain or dew are pictures of the word of God going forth, coming down from heaven to be a blessing upon men. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 32, in the first couple of verses, Give ear, O ye heavens, and I will speak, and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. My doctrine shall drop as the rain, my speech shall distill as the dew, as the small rain upon the tender herb, and as the showers upon the grass. So God's speech is as the dew, and uh, the speech of God is recorded in the Bible. It's the word of God. And so when God says in Haggai 1.10, The heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit, Well, God's word will not go forth in a way in which he will bless. And uh, this happened at the beginning of the Great Tribulation for 2300 evening mornings, um, a time wherein virtually no one was saved in all the world. And why? Because that was the end of the church age. And from 1988 until September 1994, it was not yet the time or season for the latter rain. The latter rain began to fall in September 94. And then uh, rain fell or dew once again came forth. God used that to save a great multitude to bring forth much fruit. And the fruit would point to the, the elect, those that he intended to save. But if he did not send the rain, or if the rain stops, as it did at the end of the Great Tribulation also, on May 21, 2011, then the period of the latter rain came to a close, and it stopped the fall. No more showers of blessing from heaven, no more fruit. So that did happen within the churches during the Great Tribulation, throughout the whole 23 years. It happened in the world for the first part of the Great Tribulation, and then at the end of the Great Tribulation, the the rain stopped falling, and God stopped saving people. And, and that's why Jeremiah 50 picks that idea up. A drought is upon her waters, referring to the waters of Babylon, and they shall be dried up. Now, this... Uh, is very much um, like what we read in the book of Revelation in chapter 16. Revelation 16, and it says in verse 12, And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. Well, this Great River Euphrates is the river of Babylon. It, it did set the border of Israel in the north, and uh, that is the land of Israel. 
went up until that river, Euphrates, but the river identifies with Babylon, just like the Nile identifies with Egypt. And, and since it does identify with Babylon, it is a river that pictures the water of the world, the gospel water that flows through the world. In, in this case, uh, uh, since it's Judgment Day, Revelation 16 is describing the pouring out of the seven last vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. It is telling us something important in verse 12, that when the vial of God's wrath is poured out upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof is dried up, that's the water of Babylon, the water of this world. There is no more flowing river or stream, or it, it is picturing um, turning Babylon, the kingdom of Satan, into a dry place. And that's why um, Jeremiah also speaks of a drought. The, the waters are dried up. The great river that has once flowed through this world of the gospel, as God sent it forth, God said, go ye into the world with the gospel. So the gospel flowed forth during the church age from the churches to the world and during the latter reign when the church age was over and yet God was stretching forth his hand that second time to recover the remnant of his people, the gospel once again flowed forth into the world from um, the true believers who were also in the world at that time as God was no longer using the church at that point. But now the the period of latter rain again has ended. And so when the rain stops falling and and there is no dew, then there will be drought. And and without rain the rivers would dry up. And and that's the picture that God is giving here. Um a drought uh, is upon her rivers and and here in revelation 16:12 the water thereof was dried up now notice the last part of the verse in revelation 16 verse 12 that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared and this is telling us of the true believers the kings of the east because God uh, typifies his people spiritually as being prophets, priests, and kings. And, and we're kings, we're of the family of Christ, who is king of kings. And, and therefore, we have royal blood. We're a royal priesthood. And, and we're also kings of the east, because the east is the direction that identifies with Christ. And... Uh, he he comes from the east uh, in judgment. And so what God is saying here is that the drying up of the water of Babylon is preparation for the way uh, for the kings of the east. 
what way and and where are the true believers, the kings of the East, going to be going to? Well, in Isaiah chapter 11, in Isaiah 11, it says in uh, verse 15 and 16, And Jehovah shall utterly destroy the tongue of the Egyptian sea, and with his mighty wind shall he shake his hand over the river, and shall smite it in the seven streams, and make men go over dry shod. And there shall be a highway for the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria, like as it was to Israel in the day that he came up out of the land of Egypt. And here God is drawing on that spectacular historical image when he parted the Red Sea and brought the Israelites through the midst of the sea and they went on dry ground. The the seabed, the sea bottom they walked on was not even wet. They crossed without a drop of water upon them because it typified crossing through uh, the wrath of God and to the other side, which would picture deliverance and salvation and and really entering into the kingdom of heaven. And uh, then the, the Egyptians pursuing attempted to cross likewise, and God brought the sea down upon them, and they drowned. And, and that typified the wrath of God destroying Satan, because Pharaoh died in the Red Sea, and um, his forces, the unsaved, as Pharaoh's army died in the Red Sea. And yet, you see, God opened the sea to deliver his people and to bring them through the wrath of God, and and once they came through the wrath of God, and the wrath of God did not touch them. Now that's a similar thing that's going on now, because we're living on the earth at this time in the day of judgment. All people, every single person that's alive right now, living on the earth is living in the day of judgment. God's wrath is upon the unsaved. It is not upon those that are saved, his people, those that he did save before he shut the door of heaven. And yet we're all going through these days of judgment, and yet God's people are going through as on dry ground because salvation has ended, the water of the gospel is removed from the earth. Therefore, spiritually, it's as though the Euphrates River is dried up. And and that is made preparation by God for his people to cross over to the other side of the kingdom of heaven. And, and that is our expectation that at the end of Judgment Day, which would be the end of our traveling through this uh, dry riverbed, the, the, the end of uh, going through these days where God is pouring out his wrath upon the unsafe people of the earth, which we 
um, have uh, strong evidence may continue for a period of 1,600 days. And then at the end of 1,600 days, we have come through the fire. We've come through the dry river. And then we um, will make it, is our hope, to the other side. We will have endured to the end. And there will be uh, that great moment, uh, that that great experience of of seeing God bring the end of all things, the completion of all Scripture, and the fulfillment of all of His promises, as He will then, uh, after destroying this world and universe, create a new heaven and new earth, and so forth. And so the the language of the Bible is that first God dries the sea, or he dries up the river of Babylon, and then he uh, has made that as a highway. That's the road. That is the path that leads to heaven. We must follow that path. And and then um, we'll be on the right path. Now, course a lot of people are denying this they're saying oh no oh no there's uh, there's no drought in this world uh, not as long as the true believers are living on the earth and and they're they just aren't getting it they're not seeing it or understanding so many places in the bible where god is telling us this same truth but but god's people will understand and again we can read this and we can not our heads. Yes, that's exactly what's happened. There's a terrible drought. A drought unlike any other drought that's ever come before. Because in in previous times there would always be hope that the drought would end. That the the water would, would once again begin to flow and, and to fall from heaven. But there's no such hope this time because... It's the final judgment of God. Okay, again in verse 38, A drought is upon her waters, and they shall be dried up. For it is the land of graven images, and they are mad upon their idols. Again, referring to Babylon, and it is the land of graven images. Um, Of course, that's contrary to the word of God, to what God has commanded mankind. Thou shalt not make any graven image nor bow down to it. And man has disregarded and rebelled against God on that point. And therefore judgment day is a judgment upon the men who make the graven images, but also it's a judgment upon the graven images themselves, the gods of Babylon. When God brought the plagues upon Egypt. Um, many of the plagues were designed by God as judgments that particularly dealt with some of the gods of the Egyptians. And so too with uh, the final judgment on this world. In Isaiah chapter 21, in Isaiah 21, it says in uh, verse 9, And behold, here cometh a chariot of men with a couple of horsemen. And he answered and said, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. 
and all the graven images of her gods he has broken unto the ground. O my threshing and the corn of my floor, that which I have heard of Jehovah of hosts, the God of Israel, have I declared unto you. So uh, the point of Babylon's fall, which would be the end of the Great Tribulation, since uh, historically Babylon fell at the end of 70 years, and that 70 years typified the Great Tribulation. Babylon falls and all of her graven images or the graven images of her gods are broken unto the ground. Uh, they, they are destroyed. It, it is uh, a judgment upon them as well. Now, um, let's turn to Deuteronomy 12. Deuteronomy chapter 12. And we'll read the first three verses. These are the statutes and judgments which ye shall observe to do in the land, which Jehovah God of thy fathers giveth thee to possess it, all the days that ye live upon the earth. Ye shall utterly destroy all the places wherein the nations which ye shall possess serve their gods, upon the high mountains and upon the hills, and under every green tree. And ye shall overthrow their altars, and break their pillars, and burn their groves with fire, and ye shall hew down the graven images of their gods, and destroy the names of them out of that place. Now, here God is saying that part of possessing the land uh, involves destroying the graven images. And the way that God views this earth is that uh, remember, he says, the meek shall inherit the earth. And, and therefore, in a sense, the, the destruction of the earth is a form of purifying the earth in order to give it to his people who will then inherit it. Of course, um, it's going to be destroyed. It's going to be a new earth. But, it, but the language of the Bible likens it as though we are receiving this earth in in a purified form. And in order for the children of God to receive the earth, well, then you have to cleanse the land. And and God is going to cleanse it by uh, punishing and destroying all of the unsafe people, by destroying all of the idols, and, and then finally by destroying the earth itself because the earth is seeing corruption and then recreate a new heaven and a new earth uh, for his people to dwell in. All right, let's go back to Jeremiah 50. And um, the last part of verse 38 says, And they are mad upon their idols. The Hebrew word translated as mad is... Uh, Strong's number 1984. It's a Hebrew word that's translated most often as praise. Uh, for instance, uh, in the Psalms, uh, in, uh, we, we read often, praise ye Jehovah. Well, that's this particular word again and again. It, it's translated as praise. It's also translated a few times as fools or foolish and uh, a, a few times as glory or boast. Um, 
when we read, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. That's this Hebrew word that's translated as mad. And, and it's translated a handful of times, um, like it is here in Jeremiah 50, 38, as mad. They are mad upon their idols. Well, we can understand that, yes, uh, they praise their idols. That, that, that idea fits, or they boast of their idols. They glory in their idols. And all those words uh, just help us, I think, in understanding what God is saying. They they exalt in their idols as they should be exalting and praising God. Yet, instead, their worship, their praise, their um, glorying is not in God, but it is on on these idols of Babylon and idols of wood, idols of stone decked with silver and gold. Yes, there there is some of that, but more idols of the heart, idols that are designed um, through the lusts of men and through covetousness. And as God says, it's idolatry in the New Testament. Mankind has built untold number of idols that he praises and and glories in and and boasts of, and yet it, it, this is the nature of this world. It's a land of graven images. They are mad and they glory in or upon their idols. It it is a, a very accurate statement of what goes on on a daily basis in the world. Then in verse 39 of Jeremiah 50, it says, Therefore, the wild beasts of the desert with the wild beasts of the island shall dwell there, and the owls shall dwell therein, and shall be no more inhabited forever, neither shall be dwelled in from generation to generation. Therefore, uh, there is a preacher, probably more than one, that said, uh, you always have to ask what the therefore is there for. And, and this word therefore is there because the previous verse says a drought is upon her waters and they shall be dried up. Therefore, the wild beasts of the desert with the wild beasts of the island shall dwell there and the owls shall dwell therein because the world becomes a desert, and then you get uh, wild beasts of the desert. You you get creatures uh, that identify with a land that that has no water, with with a land of the desert. And you know these two statements here: wild beasts of the desert with wild beasts of the islands. They're actually two different Hebrew words. The first is 6728, the wild beasts of the desert. And the second, wild beasts of the islands, is 338. So they're, they're two different words. Yet, um, we, we do find them used together in a couple of places. But let me first look up a place where um, the wild beasts of the desert is used by itself. 
in Psalm 74. Psalm 74. We looked at this in our study of the book of Revelation. When uh, Satan is pictured as having seven heads and ten horns. Well, it says in Psalm 74, in verse 13, Thou didst divide the sea by thy strength. Thou breakest the heads of the dragons in the waters. Thou breakest the heads of Leviathan in pieces and gavest him to be meat to the people inhabiting the wilderness. And the phrase inhabiting the wilderness is the same Hebrew word 6728 that we find in verse 39. The wild beasts of the desert, uh, I should have mentioned this, wild beasts of the desert is a translation of one Hebrew word. It's it's not several Hebrew words. It's only one translated wild beasts of the desert. And in Psalm 74.14, that same word is translated uh, inhabiting the wilderness. And that's the idea. It has to do with a dry, barren land. And it's a word that is spoken of as wild beasts, but it's a pretty complex word, even though it's a small little Hebrew word. Yet we see that it, God is allowing the King James translators to use several English words to try and relate the meaning of this one little Hebrew word. In Isaiah 13, Isaiah chapter 13, which is a chapter that um, deals with Babylon and the judgment of this world. Uh, I, I don't know how anyone can read Isaiah 13 and not understand that Babylon is picturing the world under judgment because it, it begins in verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 13. The burden of Babylon, which Isaiah the son of Amos did see. And then it goes on to uh, soon talk about the the day of wrath. In verse 5, they come from a far country, from the end of heaven. Even Jehovah and the weapons of his indignation to destroy the whole land. Verse 6, How ye, for the day of Jehovah is at hand. It shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. And therefore shall all hands be faint, and every man's heart shall melt. And then it just gets even clearer. Uh, verse 9, Behold, the day of Jehovah cometh, cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. Verse 10, For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in his going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. And then in verse 11, And I will punish the world for their evil, and the wicked for their iniquity, and I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease, and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. Verse 13, Therefore I will shake the heavens, and the earth shall remove out of her place, in the wrath of Jehovah of hosts, and in the day of his fierce anger. I, I don't think you could possibly find another place that laid out Judgment Day in so many verses in a clearer way than Isaiah 13. But Isaiah 13 
is the burden of Babylon. And yet God is, it's the day of wrath. It's the time when he will punish the world. The stars are falling from heaven. As we see in the New Testament, that occurs immediately after the tribulation in the day of judgment. And, and so um, there is just an unmistakable link between the judgment of the world with the judgment of Babylon. And uh, in order that we we don't miss it, uh, despite the fact that God said this is the burden of Babylon, he, after giving all that language, reverts back to speaking of Babylon in verse 19 of Isaiah 13. In Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldees' excellency, shall be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. It shall never be inhabited, neither shall it be dwelled in from generation to generation, neither shall the Arabian pitch tent there, neither shall the shepherds make their fold there, but wild beasts of the desert shall lie there, and their houses shall be full of doleful creatures, and owls shall dwell there, and satyrs shall dance there, and the wild beasts of the island shall cry in their desolate houses, and dragons in their pleasant palaces, and her time is near to come, and her day shall not be prolonged. Well, there there it is. It, uh, and that ends Isaiah 13. It's the burden of Babylon. What is the burden of Babylon? Judgment Day. Judgment Day on this world. And in describing Judgment Day, um, God first uses the typology of the world as Babylon. Then he he uh, clarifies things, speaks rather plainly, and and talks of punishing the world for their evil. Then he goes back to the typology of Babylon, typifying the world, and he in referring to Babylon, says, It shall never be inhabited, neither dwelled in from generation to generation. And then he mentions these wild beasts in verse 21. Wild beasts of the desert shall lie there. And verse 22, And the wild beasts of the islands. And those are the identical two things that we're reading in Jeremiah 50, verse 39. Therefore the wild beasts of the desert with the wild beasts of the island shall dwell there. And um, he also mentions owls shall dwell there, just as our verse does, and the owls shall dwell therein. So God, in order to bring these wild beasts of the desert and wild beasts of the islands into view, what has to happen? A drought is upon the river of Babylon. A drought is upon her waters, and they are dried up. It, and that is what is happening in the day of judgment on this world. And um, God further confirms this in Isaiah 34. The two phrases that we have in our verse in Jeremiah 50:39, the wild beasts of the desert with the wild beasts of the islands are found together three times in Jeremiah 50:39 
in Isaiah 13, 21 and 22 that we just read. And the third time is in Isaiah 34. Isaiah 34, which is also a chapter detailing the wrath of God in the day of judgment. Um, just look at Isaiah 34, verse 1. Come near, ye nations, to hear, and hearken, ye people. Let the earth hear, and all that is therein, the world, and all things that come forth of it. For the indignation of Jehovah is upon all nations, and his fury upon all their armies. He has utterly destroyed them. He has delivered them to the slaughter. Their slain shall be cast out, and their stink shall come up out of their carcasses, and the mountains shall be melted with their blood, and all the host of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heaven shall be rolled together as a scroll, and all their hosts shall fall down as the leaf falleth off from the vine, and as a falling fig from the fig tree. And uh, we we recognize the language, we recognize the references. It, it is um, without question referring to judgment day. And in this context, we read in verse 8 of Isaiah 34, For it is the day of Jehovah's vengeance and the year of recompenses for the controversy of Zion. And that reminds us of the several places we've read in Jeremiah 50 and 51, that God is taking vengeance, vengeance for his temple and and Zion is a reference to Jerusalem, where the temple would be located. And then it says in verse 9, And the streams thereof shall be turned into pitch, and the dust thereof into brimstone, and the land thereof shall become burning pitch. It shall not be quenched night nor day. The smoke thereof shall go up forever. From generation to generation it shall lie waste. None shall pass through it forever and ever. And then uh was going to read the rest of the verses. But, well, let me read verse 11 because it mentions owls. In verse 11, But the comorant and the bittern shall possess it, the owl also, and the raven shall dwell on it, and he shall stretch out upon it the line of confusion and the stones of emptiness. And then in verse 13, And thorns shall come up in her palaces, nettles and brambles and the fortresses thereof, and it shall be a habitation of dragons and a court for owls. The wild beasts of the desert shall also meet with the wild beasts of the island, and the satyr shall cry to his fellow. The screech owl also shall rest there and find for herself a place of rest. There shall the great owl make her nest and lay and hatch and gather under her shadow there shall the vultures also be gathered, everyone with her mate. Well, once again, we see a chapter, Isaiah 34, that is clearly a chapter speaking of Judgment Day. And, and then we read this phrase, The wild beasts of the desert shall meet with the wild beasts of the island. And we also find um, all these unclean birds from verse 11 through 15 in Isaiah 34 the owl was mentioned the raven was mentioned 
um, verse 13 spoke of a court for owls. Verse 14, the screech owl. Verse 15, the great owl and the vulture. So several unclean birds. And you can read uh, Leviticus chapter 11, verses 13 through 17 to see a list of unclean fowls. And, and the owl and the raven uh, are, are listed there. They're unclean birds. And they, uh, for Israel, they were not to be eaten. Uh, they, they were on the list of unclean animals that they were not to touch. But why is God using this language to describe Judgment Day? That's the big question. Why in Isaiah 13 is there a reference to these wild beasts of the desert and the wild beasts of the island? And why is the same reference in Isaiah 34 in the context of Judgment Day? Uh, where the world is under the wrath of God, isn't isn't the world destroyed once Christ comes and and it's the day of the Lord and and the earth is just destroyed instantaneously? Isn't that the teaching that we have been taught that so many want to go back to? That Christ comes, the world ends, that's it. Well, that's not the teaching of the Bible. The teaching of the Bible is that Judgment Day is a time when the world, typified by Babylon, becomes a wilderness, a desert place, a place of drought, a place uh, wherein unclean birds are uh, all over. They, they inhabit the wilderness. They dwell therein. Because these are birds that, that identify with the dry conditions. They identify with the lack of water. They're unclean in nature. Well, uh, remember what Revelation chapter 18 tells us. In Revelation 18, we read in verse 2, And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and is become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Every unclean and hateful bird. That's what Babylon has become. And uh, we, we thought, oh, that's the church. The church is a place of uncleanness. But Isaiah 13 isn't talking about the judgment on the church. Isaiah 34 isn't describing the judgment on the church. It's describing the judgment that comes on the world. And in Babylon, the world becomes a cage or a, a place of dwelling for every unclean bird. And uh, I don't know all the reasons why God uses this kind of imagery, but we can know it relates to the drought. It relates to the the idea of a desolate place, of a wilderness without water. And that's where you would find um, these birds, according to the information we're reading in the Bible. Well, 
going back to our verse, it says in uh, Jeremiah 50, verse 39, Therefore the wild beasts of the desert with the wild beasts of the island shall dwell there, and the owls shall dwell therein, and it shall be no more inhabited forever, neither shall it be dwelt in from generation to generation. That seems to be saying there'll be no people there. That is what a wilderness is like. There's no people. Well, no, no, that's, that's not what God means by being no more inhabited forever, neither being dwelled in from generation to generation. Oh, oh by the way, um, this is an example of Hebrew parallelism, where the first part of the verse, it shall be no more inhabited forever, matches the next statement, or the next part of the verse, neither shall it be dwelled in from generation to generation. That is, it's just restated. The first statement, not dwelled in forever, agrees with the second statement, uh, neither shall it be dwelled in from generation to generation, which means that from generation to generation means forever. And this is important because some people have um, taken a verse like we find in Isaiah 51 in verse 8. And they've um, tried to say that this means salvation goes on till the end of time because there's still generations of men on the earth. It, it says in verse 8 of Isaiah 51, For the moth shall eat them up like a garment, and the worm shall eat them like wool, but my righteousness shall be forever and my salvation from generation to generation. Oh, there it is. There's the verse that um, so many have been desperately searching for. There's the evidence. Salvation continues. It says it plainly, doesn't it? God's salvation will be from generation to generation. And... And that means, since there's still generations of men on the earth, God's salvation continues. And of course, no, that's not what it's saying. It, it, it is um, a desperate attempt to find that verse, to ward off um, the teaching of the Bible that he has shut the door of heaven, that God has ended his salvation program. Uh, again, Notice the Hebrew parallelism in Isaiah 51, 8, at the end of the verse. But my righteousness shall be forever, and my salvation from generation to generation. It's rewording the first part of the statement, righteousness forever, salvation generation to generation. It, it means salvation forever. God's salvation is forever. And of course, that that's true. There's no question the Bible teaches eternal life. When you're saved, you have salvation forever. But uh, if we go back to Isaiah 13, in a place that we read in verse 20, in speaking of Babylon and God's judgment on it, it shall never be inhabited neither shall be dwelled in from generation to generation. It shall never 
be inhabited, and let's reword that, neither shall it be dwelled in from generation to generation. And in Isaiah 34, the, the same phrase was read or, or stated by God. Isaiah 34, and we read it in verse 10, it shall not be quenched night nor day, the smoke thereof shall go up forever from generation to generation. Notice in all these places, we first see the idea of eternity forever, and then the statement is made from generation to generation. And just one more place in Joel 3, Joel chapter 3, verse 20. But Judah shall dwell forever, and Jerusalem from generation to generation. That's probably one of the the clearer examples. Judah and Jerusalem are typifying the people of God, the elect. Judah dwells forever. Obviously, they have eternal life. Jerusalem, that Jerusalem above, the the heavenly Jerusalem, from generation to generation forever. There's just, you know, sometimes it's understandable when people can't see something because it's a little difficult um, for someone to see some of the, the information that God reveals occasionally, but not in this case. Uh, even someone with a natural mind would be able to see uh, the structure of these sentences and see the Hebrew parallelism, the, the way that it's laid out and worded. It's very obvious. Okay, well, uh, that means that when we read generation to generation, it has in view an eternal principle, an eternal statement. All right, we were reading in Jeremiah 50, Jeremiah 50, and it's said in verse 39 at the end of the verse, It shall be no more inhabited forever, neither shall it be dwelled in from generation to generation. So what God did to Babylon is eternal. It's an eternal judgment. It's not going to change. There's not going to um, elapse a period of days and then God will once again save. He'll once again um, send rain. No, that's not going to happen. Babylon is made desolate. Babylon, the river, its waters are dried up. There's a drought upon it. It will continue forever. This condition will never change. And then uh, concerning no more inhabited and neither dwelled in forever, God explains in verse 40 of Jeremiah 50. As God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and the neighbor cities thereof. Now notice a second time, we saw this on Isaiah 13, that God is likening the destruction of Babylon to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, which the Lord Jesus Christ uses as a historical example of the final judgment. We, we read in Matthew 24 and other places. As God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and the neighbor cities thereof, saith Jehovah, so shall no man abide there, neither shall any son of man dwell therein. That's who's in view, the son of man. 
the Lord Jesus Christ. Many times in the New Testament, Jesus is identified as the Son of Man. And, and he has abandoned Babylon. He has left the world. That's why it's a dry place. There's no more salvation. The light of the gospel, and the light typifies Christ. The, the light of the sun typifies the Lord Jesus Christ. The light of the gospel is put out, spiritually pointing to this leaving of the world to itself where God will no longer intervene, no longer save a sinner, no longer translate a person out of darkness into light. And, and that's why uh, there is such a desolate uh, situation in the world and it, it's going to continue throughout the day of judgment for however long that will be and then the world will be destroyed and so it's an eternal destruction and Babylon never again will have Christ's presence as it did in the time when God was sending forth his gospel into the world. Well, uh, Lord willing, when we get together in our next study, we'll take a closer look at verse 40 and, and the verses following as God continues to drive home the point that we are there, we are going through the process of Judgment Day, and um, he also encourages us through this language of uh, the way of the kings of the east being prepared. This is a necessary thing. Before you cross into the kingdom of God, this had to first happen. And, and just as the Red Sea had to first part before the Israelites could be delivered from the Egyptians. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship Sunday Bible Study. For more information or to hear additional Bible studies, be sure to visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com.